In the previous clip was Roger Derling, executive director of SBIFF, welcoming everyone back to the 37th Santa Barbara International Film Festival. Every night of the fest, spanning from March 2nd to 12th, the world's most sought-after stars from Penelope Cruz to Nicole Kidman to Lin-Manuel Miranda and even Kristen Stewart arrived at the Arlington Theater to walk the red carpet. Among the screenings of Oscar-nominated movies, student productions, and short films were panels dissecting the work and minds of producers, screenwriters, and animators alike. I'm Molly McEnany, the host of The Indie, and this week we're talking about SBIFF. I was fortunate enough to attend the festival to speak with those who made two of the most celebrated films this year, Coda and Belfast. Beginning with the former, Coda, following the life of a girl who is the only hearing member of her Massachusetts fishing family, is nominated for three Academy Awards and has already taken home two BAFTA Film Awards, two SAG Awards, and four Critics' Choice Awards this season. Troy Kotzer, who plays the father figure Frank Rossi, took home three awards for Best Supporting Actor, making him the most decorated deaf male actor in cinematic history. Although he's made his way into the limelight only recently, Kotzer is a seasoned actor who began performing on stage. He was celebrated for his roles at the National Theater of the Deaf and the Deaf West Theater, and has paved the way for the next generation of deaf actors on the screen. I pulled him and his interpreter Justin aside on the red carpet to dissect his approach to acting a little bit more. Thank you so much and congratulations on being honored today. When you first get a script, how do you show the story in such an expressive way? What's your approach? So when I read a script, as far as my approach as an actor, it can be a challenge because I understand the intention of the hearing writer's words that they're writing in the script. But of course, I come from deaf culture and I know strongly the deaf perspective and what the deaf community is thinking and so I really try and transform that and bring my artistic ASL forward as best as I can. I want to expand on it, improve it, and really give it more color. And I want to give the editors as many options I can because often ASL can really dominate over spoken English or written English and a lot of people don't think of it in that perspective. And that's what's so great about our movie Film Coda is that it's a wonderful step forward. And finally, the entire world's can become like a fly on the wall in our community. And so folks that have felt isolated and marginalized for so long can finally become one community. Following right behind Kotzer was his on-screen daughter, Amelia Jones, who plays the lead role of Ruby Rossi in CODA. As one of the only hearing individuals in the film, Jones spent months learning American Sign Language, how to sing, and how to fish for the film. She was nominated for a BAFTA and has won the Best Youth Performance and Breakout Performance Awards at several festivals this circuit. I asked her what it was like being a part of the cast and how she came into a character like Ruby. What was probably the most difficult thing about approaching this character for you? Probably learning a language and, and doing a movie in a language that wasn't my own. I think that was the, definitely the most challenging, but the most rewarding. Um, singing too, I hadn't had a singing lesson, so that was also really fun. And fishing, I guess there was so much I had to learn, but it was just such a great experience and it was uh, a great group of people. Well, so much was different, then what about the character did you resonate with? What part of it was you? I Honestly, I guess the fact that she's nervous when she sings. I'd never had a singing lesson, as I said, so I think that side of things I found kind of daunting and so did Ruby. So that, I think. Both Jones and Kotzer were recipients of the Virtuoso Award Saturday night at SBIFF, and there to celebrate their win with them was Sean Hader, the screenwriter of CODA, who shared with me what it was like capturing the essence of the film in her writing. 
When you were approaching this film, Coda, you had to show rather than say. Yeah. What was your thought process in sitting down with the actors and other people to get advice on how to approach ASL in this movie? It was a long process. It was definitely, you know, I wrote the script in English, but then there was a translation process working with my ASL masters, Ann Tomasetti and Alexandria Wales. Um, and Alexandria really started it with looking at the script and figuring out how to translate it into ASL, but also into deaf culture, because jokes work differently in deaf culture. And, you know, it's a purely visual language. It's got its own syntax and structure. And um, so it was really a journey. And then my actors got involved and they all had, you know, Troy's a master signer and knows how to play with the language beautifully. So he was just wonderful to work with and he could kind of improv and riff within the lines and so the script was a very fluid living breathing thing because it was turning into a visual you know it was a blueprint for something that actually didn't exist in words it existed visually um, in signs and so that was a that was a long journey to find that definitely and when you're thinking about ASL and slang and how you're it's situated in a certain part of the world what kind of context did you draw in order to approach the script because it deaf culture isn't a universal thing there's there's different parts to it in every part of the world we had a lot of my ASL masters were great about that but made a lot of context locally in the deaf community to sort of figure out what were regional signs we had interpreters too who came from that area so you could they could sort of tell us this is a sign for you know, the local sign for Gloucester, these are, you know, and some of them were like terms on the, fishing terms on the boat that we kind of had to come up with on our own because there wouldn't be a sign for some of the fishing equipment or whatever. So Troy and Daniel would kind of make up their own signs and had, this was their father-son language on the boat. So it was pretty cool to kind of delve into the regionalisms of that local area. And finally, what do you think this film is going to do for the deaf community and actors who want to pursue a career? I mean, look, Troy Kotzer saw Marley Matlin, you know, in Children of a Lesser God when he was a teenager, and it inspired him to be an actor and realize he could do it. And I hope that young deaf kids are looking up at these actors and realizing that this is a career path they can follow and that their dreams aren't limited, you know? Considered a must-see by many real-life CODAs or children of deaf adults, this Best Picture nominee is definitely one to watch. The second film I was so excited to see being celebrated at SBIFF this year is Belfast, and I'm partly biased because I come from a very Irish family. Belfast, based on screenwriter and director Kenneth Branagh's childhood, captures a time of upheaval during the beginning of the Troubles in 1969 Northern Ireland. It captures the poverty, the violence, and the hard decisions many families had to make in leaving their home. This film was nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, and won the BAFTA for Outstanding British Film of the Year. During the afternoon writers panel, I was able to capture Sir Kenneth Branagh's thoughts on facing his upbringing through creating this film. It was clear that what some sort of unconscious or subconscious thing that I wanted to do was to go back and really face a lot of, um, you know, t to be blunt about it, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of broken bits of various people's hearts, including my own, and try and put them back together, or at least understand how some of them could be put back together. Uh, and in so doing, try to um, 
you know, embrace who I was, not apologize for it, and, um, and recognize your own sort of creative DNA, which was exploded at that time by being taken away in, in, in a process that began what this process revealed to me was a confirmation that you had gathered lots and lots of masks. I mean, we do it as actors anyway, you, you, you know, it becomes part of your job, you're constantly being other people. In life, I think that I was being lots of other people because the person I was that was so completely identified with the city, my family and everything that was going on, was ruptured then in a way that I had not understood for 50 years, had had such a sort of psychic um, load to bear. Now, I'm not suggesting there's anything tragic about it, simply that in my own life it figured largely and, 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 and in ways that I did not understand. And I wanted to go back and try and understand because I began to see that there were ways in which the story, which across my life I had understood was experienced in lots of ways by many other people in their own lives, might be resonant beyond, you know, the script for me and my therapist. So um, I, 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 went, I went into a sort of world of just deciding that I would not, I would not second guess myself and I would try to uh, find a story and essentially also write the story regardless of whether it was going to be a movie or not. So when I did write it, I felt that um, the first thing I had to do was to show it to my brother and my sister and see what they thought before I would even think about whether this could be a movie. Up to that point, the story just had to come out. And I gave myself the final permission was, it's 50 years on, you are nine years old. It doesn't matter, there's no objective truth. It doesn't have to be a documentary account. I can't agree with what happened this morning when we had breakfast, you know, we'll argue about, you know, I had tea, no, you didn't have coffee. So I'm never going to get it right 50 years ago and through the eyes of a nine-year-old. But I thought that that would be the point of departure. There was a, a line from Picasso, which was a big inspiration, I'm sure, to many people, where he talked about, he said, it took me a few years to learn how to paint, and it took me a whole lifetime to learn how to paint like a child. And I decided that I would go back and try and see my, see my life kindly and compassionately, not just for me, but for other people and for other people who knew me, uh, kindly. At one stage when, when the script was out, a friend said to me, do you think there should be more politics in it? I said, well, I'm not. If you mean by politics more middle-aged men in suits on television talking, no, I don't think so. Um, the politics the kid encounters is the politics that, you know, becomes um, practically um, involving because the street that was a playground has now become a fortress. There's a barricade at either side, of, at either end. The, the, the pavement has been lifted up, and now you have to sign in and sign out of the street that you previously lived in without any of that. And men who might possibly recruit you to, to deliver messages, as we used to call them, that might turn out to be in the case of people we knew, my brother looks slightly involved with it, uh, bottles that were milk bottles that were going to be reconstituted as petrol bombs, not something you're aware of at the time, but was the beginning of the grooming into potential involvement in, in um, local gangsterism and then possibly political paramilitarism. All of that was, was, was stuff you encountered just on the street in, in the ways in which your life was changed. And so as a result, um, the nine-year-old in me looked, looked to films to try and find narratives and stories that made it simpler. Please let there be a good guy, a bad guy, 
and the good guy will win at the end, and the good guy will get the girl. Uh, that was what my nine-year-old version of the musical thing. And the film does capture this coming-of-age realism. Violence is contrasted with this budding romance between Buddy, played by young Jude Hill, and his classmate Catherine. To fight for the cause or to flee without pause was always in question. And the relationship between Buddy's Ma, played by Katrina Balfe, and Pa, played by Jamie Dornan, is seen through a child's eyes, strained yet speckled with moments of love. I caught up with Irish actress Katrina Balfe on the red carpet about her relationship to her character and the historic role Irish women played at this contentious time. So I wanted to ask, I mean, you've had so many different characters, but being an Irish woman, why was this movie different in a way, or more special? Oh, God. It, you know, it's, it's about a time period. Obviously, I wasn't around then, but um, the troubles sort of continued throughout my entire life. And this was a film that really spoke to the people of Northern Ireland and the ordinary, everyday people of Northern Ireland. And that was something that I think we all felt that it was so important to show that and not just the political lens that we're, we've seen many times before, which is very important too, but it was important for us that this be, this be another part of Northern Ireland that we show. And the intersectionality of being an Irish woman in Ireland at this time, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? It must have been interesting to get into the character. Yeah, you know, what I did was I went back and I was so lucky that there are thousands of interviews of women from that time and, you know, those streets, those houses. And the one thing that, you know, really spoke to me was how powerless a lot of them felt because, you know, they were in fear of their lives not, and they were in fear of their children's lives. And, and very often, you know, the men in the house didn't have an, a chance either, but they had to go and join one side or the other. And these thugs run, ran the city for years and years, and the women very often felt that they had no voice. And it wasn't until the 80s, when the women joined together and started marching for peace, that things started to shift and change. So it was incredible to sort of go back and, and see women who sort of didn't feel like they had that voice at that time. And, and yeah, it was just great to be able to sort of... And I have one final question for you. What's your favorite Irish phrase that you could say? Oh, Ganyairi on Boherlap. And what does that mean? It means may the road rise to meet you. And it's sort of like a, you know, I wish the best for you kind of thing. Like may the road always be, you know, beneath your feet. And as you heard in this episode, the atmosphere was the most lively Santa Barbara has been in years, which makes for a great festival season. For more information on the Santa Barbara International Film Festival, head to sbiff.org. And do give Coda and Belfast a watch before they round out this film festival season at the Academy Awards. Once again, I'm Molly McEnany, host of The Indie, and I'll see you next time with another episode.